0: Hello and welcome to Servant's Heart Chapel. I am Pastor Daryl and I hope today's episode is a special blessing to you. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans chapter 5. If there's one thing... I think all of us, at least in this room, can agree on is that peace is something that we appreciate and cherish, and and try to strive for. Nice to have peace in our lives. Not everybody wants peace. There are those who would rather have other things that they want and prefer more than peace wanting their way in something or uh, wanting money or power or pleasure. They want those things more than peace. want, want respect, uh, pride. They want those more than peace. <clears throat> but I think by and large... Many people don't realize the things they want are actually getting away of something else that they want, and that's peace. They want both, but you can't have both. The lack of peace is apparent all around us, especially in this day and age. Everything going on overseas and in the U.S., Online, on social media, there is a clear lack of peace. The most troubling lack of peace, the most troubling situation is when one is, is at war with God. After the first four chapters of Romans with its overwhelming picture of human sinfulness against the backdrop of God's holiness, the idea that we might have peace with God is powerful indeed. And that's precisely what God offers to us. In in this world, peace is hard to come by. We see the lack of peace right now among nations in the Middle East, everything going on in Africa and and, and in the Middle East, such as Afghanistan. We see a lack of peace in our nation. It used to be, uh, politically, uh, Republicans and Democrats, they would go into their chambers and argue face-to-face, while their wives are out shopping together, and then they would go have dinner together afterwards. They were still friends. They completely disagree with each other on how things should be. But they were friends. And we don't see that now. Now, if you don't agree with how I, I think things should be, then you are my enemy. See, like a piece in our cities... Riots are becoming more and more common. like a piece online and social media, even air, even group, Facebook groups that I'm a part of that should have have zero conflict. I mean, they're not political at all. They're not discussion groups at all. They're just simple uh, uh, humor focused uh, groups and and people nearly every post, someone. Has a problem and, and and with it and and they have to express their complaint and and others have to join again against them and saying how how dumb they are and it goes back and forth. I've seen it, it's almost covered everything now. There's a lack of peace in our homes. Husbands and wives uh, fight against each other and 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 say things they don't mean and do things they shouldn't and and causing rifts and strains, and it's no surprise at all that we have the divorce rate we have, or even the non-marriage rate we have. People are just saying, why bother being married? And most of all, permeating the majority of the world, there's a lack of peace in our in our hearts, so many people they lack peace. Lack peace in their heart. There, there's constant turmoil. There's the bitterness and anger and grief and depression and and uh, unfor, you know the hatred towards others and 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 concern about getting what's mine and what's rightfully mine. and and then they grieve they, they, they do things they know they shouldn't and, and they, they grieve about that why did i do that why and 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 they concern some even some even cons- are concerned about you know where they stand with god and they go to bed at night wondering is this it am i am this i'm not ready i'm not ready for eternity lack of peace. But we'll see here that God offers us peace along with two other things, and we're going to talk about those things. Uh, I don't expect to get past verse 11 today. This writing is so tightly packed. But in verse 1 of chapter 5, therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace. Harry Ironside, who's read a number of wonderful books, and we might end up reading one of his books for Connection Group, uh, summarized a justified man or woman's peace here. He said, peace as used in Romans 5.1 is not a state of mind or heart. It's a prevailing condition between two who were once alienated. Sin has disturbed the relations of creator, excuse me, creator and creature. A breach has occurred that man could not mend. But peace has been made by the blood of Christ's cross. There is no longer a barrier. Peace with God is now the abiding state into which every believer enters. The sin question is settled. There's that one popular saying, no God, no peace, no God, no peace. The first set of no's being N, N-O, the second set of no's being K-N-O-W. People try to find peace in all various things, from spiritualism, to relaxation techniques, to uh, outdoors activities, to music. They try to find peace. And without God, that that peace is always fleeting and never at the level it is when you're at a right relationship with God. Faith in Jesus brings the most important source of comfort, strong fellowship with God. Nothing nothing else brings the same level of peace. So God gives us peace. God offers us peace verse 2 we have obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of god now that word access there is interesting we are, uh, obtained access we don't want to have you think that it's something that we accomplish We're going to get access. We're going to do it ourselves. No, this is really us being let in the door. We have no way to get through the door. If you think of uh, the story of Noah, Noah and his family went into the ark. God shut the door. The people outside the door were completely helpless. when the rains came and they banged on the door, begging to be let in, and and Noah couldn't do it. God had shut it. It was shut. And that is with us, before we were made right with God through Christ, we were on the outside, and, and there was no way we could access the safety of the ark, of God's ark, because the door was shut. But Christ opened it for each and every one of us so we could be let in. He let us in by faith, by us trusting in Him. And it's into this grace in which we stand, the grace we have in God. And so we rejoice in this hope. Hope is the next thing that God offers us. Anybody who's down, who feels down, discouraged this loss of hope is always a problem. There can be no better hope than a future spent with God. Hope. And we're going to talk more about hope uh, later on. But in this case, we're talking about this hope in Christ. I love that hymn. Uh, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, a solid rock I stand. All other ground is seeking sand. I don't want my hope to to be on my job or my marriage or my relationships. I don't want my hope to be built on uh, what happens with this church. I don't want my hope to be built on my financial or intellectual success. I don't want my hope to be built on what I can achieve. I want my hope to be built on Christ. There's no doubt that we are in challenging times today, and it's not going to get any easier. And as we face what lies ahead, we can count on hope. Hope in the God of of all our tomorrows, that provides us the optimism for the future and gives strength for today. And I'm going to talk more about exactly how and why that happens, but it's true, and 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 because of that, even the bleak in the bleakest times, Christians have the brightest hope. Verse three, and not only that, but we. Also, rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance, endurance produ- produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. Now, first off, maybe the first time you read this, that, that second clause there, we rejoice in our afflictions, you're like, say what? Happy in our our sufferings, but we're not—we're not supposed to. This is not meant to be masochism. We're not expected to derive some some pleasure from the suffering itself. It still hurts, and it's not stoicism either. We're not expected to just ignore our feelings and, and not let anybody know how we feel and just remain stoic and, oh, that's strong. That, that's the way to go. No. Well, then why, how could we rejoice in our afflictions? We rejoice because we know God. We know what He's like. We know that He's in control and we know that anything that happens to us, any suffering we go through, is part of God's plan. And that pain, there's a purpose to it. And there's there's a goal, there's an end point to it. When I was 10 years old, I I cut my hand really bad. And I needed 13 stitches. And of course, uh, the doctor before the stitches had to inject the wound with a needle to deaden it, which was not fun. In fact, I told him, this is not my idea of fun, which he got a chuckle out, out of. But that was very painful. And I went, but I suffered through that pain. Why? Because I trusted the doctor. I knew the doctor had my best interest in mind and was working to, for healing. Without that pain, my hand most likely would not have healed correctly. May have even got an infection, have lost my hand or even my life. But I trusted him, and so we trust God, because we know he has a plan. And we're told even, and we're going to go into detail, but we're told the plan. At least some principles that we know from it. For for instance, we know that suffering leads to glory. That's the path Jesus took to glory. That's the path we take to glory. Why exactly does that work? I don't really know. I just know it does, and I trust God. It also develops our maturity, develops our character. And we'll talk more about that shortly. So we rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. You can't learn endurance without suffering. No one ever ran a marathon without huffing and puffing that first mile. No one did. That's suffering. I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep doing this. I, I run I try to run half marathons, haven't run one for a while. I guess last year I did a virtual one. Um but there, there there's that it, this hurts and, and I don't enjoy this, and, and and there's you wanna stop. Did you know that a lot of uh, running is mental? There's a physical development, but you also uh, there has to be a mental development too. Your your mind wants to tell you you're exhausted way before you're actually exhausted because it's afraid you're going to kill yourself. I read this article about this, and I thought, well, that's fascinating. So I I ran a half marathon years ago after reading this article, and and I'm running in about. six six or seven miles into it, I start to feel really fatigued. And so I said out loud to myself, you're okay. And that fatigue started to go away. And so I ran for a little while longer, and and it came back again. and, And I said, you're okay, and it went away for a little while. And each time it went away, it came back a little bit sooner as the race wore on. And, 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 and but I kept, it's mental, and it's the same with the Christian life. Like, I can't handle this. I went through, you know, this year, one of the most difficult years of my life, and I was telling God, I, I don't know if I can do this. But I knew God can. And so I begged for his help, and he helped me through it. And I've gotten closer to God than I have ever been. It produces endurance. And then endurance produces proven character. We see this in the military. Comparing a a new recruit to a seasoned NCO. And I was in Iraq, and we were getting mortared every day, bombs coming in every day. Uh, you You didn't even have to see anybody's rank to see who the airmen were and who the NCOs were. The airmen were just freaking out. Scared, didn't always do what they were supposed to do, even sometimes disobeying direct orders because they were too scared. One of the things that we were told is if you're, in, if you're on an aircraft working on it, when the bombs start, you're supposed to exit that craft, get away from it, find a shelter or even a ditch and just lie down until the bombing stops. Because you don't know, obviously, they're tr- they want to try to hit the aircraft, right? So that's the target. So get out of there. And a lot of times they, they wouldn't do it. They're like, nope, I'm not moving. I'm staying right here. But the, Meanwhile, the NCOs were doing our jobs, doing what we're supposed to, keeping our head down. When the NCO says she uh, when the bombing starts, she'd hit the ground and she'd tell herself, I'm a pancake, I'm a pancake, I'm a pancake. And then when it stops, she'd get up and do her job. What's the difference? The difference is endurance produces character and suffering produces endurance. They had to go through something for a while and learn from that and be able to and grow from it and that's exactly what happens. so what happens in the military and many other areas in life I mean it's not just the military I compare uh, I, a guy who's been a cowboy for 30 years to a guy that just paid for some time to work on a dude ranch, some uh, accountant. There's going to be a difference there, huh? And and ability to do the work and and work as long and hard and an early job working uh, as a bricklayer laborer, Actually working for my brother-in-law. He has spent years doing it. Very strong hands. For a long time I thought he was just trying to be a jerk when he would shake my hands because it would just hurt when he shook your hand. But he just had really strong hands from years and years of lifting and handling brick and mortar and all that stuff and really... And, and so I began working for him, and it about killed me. I'd go home every night, miss, missing our first marriage, go home every night, just completely wore out. And, and I was wore out, honestly, by lunchtime. Right? I just had to keep, making, keep going, keep going. Why? Because I hadn't been conditioned. I wasn't, hadn't developed. And, and, and but if I would stuck with it, if I had stuck with it, I would have gotten stronger and, and developed and been able to do it. And that's what happens in the Christian life. All right, enough analogies of that. We've got to move on. So endurance for, uh, produces proven character. Proven character produces hope. How does that happen? Well, as we walk with God, our trust in Him and His promises increase. He realized, okay, God is trustworthy. I do have something to hope for. It's tough now, but it's going to get better. <clears throat> From fall of uh, 1986 to spring of 1988, those that was the worst time in my entire life. I was 7th uh, and 8th grade. I was bullied in school every day. Got beat up, got harassed, got made fun of constantly. Every day, every day. Uh, I don't have it as bad as, you know, thank God there wasn't social media then because I got a reprieve when I came home in the evenings and on the weekends and, and part during the summer. Uh, but it was and after the first year of that, so by the fall of 87, I was just really discouraged. And around that same time, a new TV show came out called Star Trek The Next Generation. And so I started watching the show. And that show actually did something for me because it came on at 8 o'clock at night, Sunday night, so right before I was supposed to go to bed. And I go to my parents' room and I turn their TV on and watch it. And I see these people, you know, with, uh, you know, advanced technology, right, have whatever they needed. They worked together. They were mostly friends. They, they defeated the enemy and, and everything was great. And look into the future. That's that's kind of a, a major theme of science fiction. It's bad now, but it'll it'll get better. And so that's what I was thinking. It's bad now, but if I hang on, it'll get better. And you know it did, but not in the way that science fiction wanted it to happen. Science fiction has not provided science has not provided me anything as far as helping me personally. Technology is fine, it's fine. I love sparkly things that light up. But I could do, go with or without them. No, it got better for me when I surrendered everything to God. God provided that hope. And now as a Christian, as as I walk with him, and things get bad, and I think, okay, it's bad now, but things are going to get better. Because God said it would. And I trust God. Let's look at verse 5 here. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You know, it's proof that God loves us, right? He gave us His Spirit. He wants what's best for us. He Verse 6, But For, for a while we are still helpless at the appointed moment, Christ died for the ungodly. Remember, ungodly means enemy of God, against God. That's where we're all at, and Christ died for us. Verse 7, for rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. We see that on occasion. person would even dare, even risk dying for somebody else. In those situations, those people are honored. It's something special, isn't it? This year, we're remembering 20 years ago when, when uh, we had the attack in 9-11. And I got to thinking about Flight 93. I'd like to go see that memorial someday. Because here you had a group of people that discover that their plane may be used to hurt others and they need to take over the plane back over in order to keep that from happening. And so they discussed it. They voted on it. They read the twenty third Psalm and they prayed. And then they came out the terrace. And none of them survived. But they protected what they believed the target was a capital building and hundreds of people. And now, and every year, we honor them. And there's a memorial there now. It's a park now. Someone even dared to die. And we honor that. But Jesus did die for us. And so much more. The cost was so high. Verse 8, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There's a story about a great tribal Russian leader, or Russian tribal leader in the early days who had two laws. The first was that all the tribe were to love their parents, and the second was that they were not to steal. This man's Leadership and these laws made his tribe the greatest in all of Russia. Now one day they discovered that someone was stealing. This angered the leader greatly and he brought all the people together. He said, let the thief come forward and receive 10 lashes for his crime. No one came and he upped the ante to 20 lashes, then 30, then 40. He stopped there for he knew that it would take a strong man to survive 40 lashes with the whip. The crowd dispersed, and the leader sent his men to find the thief. When he, within a week, they brought the thief to him, and the leader gasped. For the thief was his own mother. The guards were wagering among themselves as to what this great and wise leader would do. Would he keep his word, obey his second law, and whip his mother? Or would he obey the first law, love his mother, let, mother, let her go free? thus disgracing the laws he sought to enforce. If the crime went unpunished, surely everyone would steal. The leader gathered the tribe together. They brought his mother forward and bared her frail back. Aha, from the people, he's going to whip her. Then just before the whip, master brought the whip to bear. The leader strode over to his mother Tearing his shirt off as he went and draped himself over her frail body, taking the forty lashes himself. That's exactly what Jesus did for us. Jesus took our punishment on the cross. We should have rightly died for our sins, but Jesus took our place. And as we read, God shows his love for us that while we are yet sinners... Christ died for us, praise the Lord. Verse 9, much more then, since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, we will be saved through him from wrath. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? By Christ's resurrection. And verse 11, and not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus. We have now received this reconciliation through Him. That's what God offers. God offers peace, hope, joy through reconciliation. But three things must happen as I close, must happen for reconciliation with God. First, we need to acknowledge our sinful attitude toward God, and and our attitude must change. In essence, we admit, I am in the wrong. The second, God God has acted in Christ to accomplish reconciliation so that with our sins no longer counted against us, believers no longer have a basis for counting God as an enemy. So, God becomes our friend. And then we say, I want a relationship with God. And finally, uh, the third item for reconciliation We've come to believe the gospel. In so doing, we experience a psychological and spiritual change as our attitude is brought into harmony with divine reality. And we say, God has changed my heart. This this change is so significant. For decades, psychologists believed Christians were experiencing a form of psychosis. They no longer say that now, which is good. But there definitely is a, a dramatic thing that occurs in our hearts when we're serious with God, when we admit we're in the wrong, we're in a right relationship with God, and say, God, I'm a sinner, I'm lost. And God does something wonderful in us. Next week we'll continue with chapter 5. But praise the Lord for that which we have. This Romans is, is think of it as a school of Christ. As we go through it, we are, are, are learning so much about the Christian experience. And of course, we're starting at the very tradition, the, the foundation We've all sinned. There's a, there's a sin problem. God has a solution. What happens in that solution? What needs to happen? What are the repercussions of it? That's what we're talking about now. And we're going to go on. because The Christian experience doesn't end there. A lot of people think it does. Okay, I've said those things, said the words. I've gotten baptized. I don't need to think about it anymore. That's not how it works. Well, that's all for game. today We certainly hope it was a blessing to you If you'd like to reach out to us You can email us at ServantsHeartChapel At gmail.com If you'd like to learn more about our church You can go to ServantsHeartChapel.org Have a wonderful day